welcome to Chatty AF, the anime feminist podcast. I'm Dee, one of the managing editors at AnyFem. You can find all my writings on my blog, The Jose Next Door, and you can also hang out with me on Twitter, at Jose Next Door. And I am joined today by fellow AnyFem staffers, Peter and Vry. If you all would like to introduce yourselves. I'm uh, Peter Phobian. I'm an associate editor of social video at Crunchyroll and an editor at Anime Feminist. Hey, I'm Rye. I am the managing content editor at Anime Feminist. Uh, you can find my freelance work on Twitter at Writer Rye, although it is currently on lock because uh, <laughs> because this year started out with my partner and I having to literally flee our home in the dead of night to get away from somebody safely, which is also, incidentally, why I haven't watched a lot of this season's anime. That is an incredibly valid reason. We're glad you're safe, and we're glad you're joining us. Um, yeah, Varya's pinch-hitting for Mercedes, who has also had a very hectic past month and kind of fell behind on some stuff. So um, we've got Varya joining us for the mid for the series finale, even though uh, we had Mercedes for the mid-season. So um, this is the Winter 2022 retrospective. I say 20 so many times that it sounds wrong when I say it. Um this is probably going to be a weird one, folks at home, uh, due to various scheduling kerfuffles. We're recording a lot later than we usually do. We're like three episodes into the spring season at this point, which means my memory has just booted everything from the winter season, all the finer points, out of my brain to make room for the new stuff. So if we miss important you know, content warnings or plot points from things, it's probably just memory loss on our parts. Um, feel free to make comments in the uh in the comments, haha, uh, on the post on our website. And, uh, you know, so we can kind of try to get those covered. So thank you in advance for your patience. And uh, we hope this episode is still entertaining and educational. Uh, as we usually do with these, we're going to start from the bottom of our premiere digest and kind of work our way up. Uh, because Peter is the only person who watched anything <laughs> from Yellow Flags down, um, we're going to, and we have quite a few carryovers and sequels we want to have some time to talk about in this one as well. Uh, we're going to just sort of blaze through those right here at the beginning. Uh, Peter, was there anything in that bottom category that maybe started to do something different from what it was doing at the mid-season or something you specifically want to call it as like a fun show people might enjoy? Um, anything from there that you want to talk about before we move into the stuff that we've all been uh, watching more of? Um, for Love of Kill, uh, it's everything that I said before, but I also think I should probably add that they have a, it's also a problematic age gap now. Um, it got worse. Yeah, <laughs> it didn't think Good it job, could be worse. <laughs> yeah, but apparently Song Ryongha, I think uh, is how you pronounce his name, kind of fell in love with Chateau back when she was uh, extremely young. Uh, and I, I think there's like a it's like a five plus age gap. But she was basically a kid when they when he first encountered her, and that's the source of his romantic affection for her now. Ooh, uh, don't like so, that. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, I don't. I hate oh. everything about it now. So it wasn't good already, and then it somehow got worse. <laughs> so yeah. terrific. Uh, and at Mercedes' ad advisement, I I watched all of uh, Akabi since the last uh, podcast somehow. Um, I I definitely get the uh, there there is a lot of good in there. I, some of the subplots were extremely nice. Uh, there was one. Uh, there's a lot of stuff where it's like Akabi uh, like meeting her classmates and kind of. Uh, being really curious and wanting to make friends so she kind of like learns more about their perspective on the world. And I do think there's a lot of good fleshed out characters in the series. Uh, so you kind of, she kind of like learns how that, per, what that person's perspective is, how they see the world and kind of follows them along for a while. Uh, and in that way, I, th I think it was, it, it was really good when it was like on with that. They also had like a really good subplot with, uh, she like, they want to use the gym in her old elementary school. And she's one of those rural towns where it's like one kid per classroom. And when she calls her teacher, she says, like, me and my seven, seven of my friends need to use the gymnasium from the school if that's okay. And her teacher ends up crying because she's so happy that she made friends. She, yeah, she only has one kid per class. Same with her younger sister now. And she always worries that all of her graduate students will be able to make friends after being in a lone classroom for so long. So, like, yeah, really touching stuff like that. But I feel like the camera is very sound euphonium-y. And it does just weird stuff that makes me not trust it all the time. Like we went over the, uh, the the toenail clipping and the smelling thing. And then there's like a scene where she goes fishing and her friend catches a fish and she takes a picture of the fish and sends it to her dad who's a fisherman or likes fishing, something like that. And he replies that she has pretty hands. 
it's just and i'm like oh that's creepy yeah. that's a very creepy response why why on earth did you do that just stuff like that it, it's yeah. like i could never trust the series 100 uh-huh. percent. that's uh, such a weird whiplash when you have like pretty good character writing like yeah. clashing up against like kind of a fetishy camera yeah that is mm. unpleasant so i think if the foot thing threw you off in episode one you're gonna get like maybe uh, like five or six more whiplash moments like that over the course of this series so I, I guess sort of use that as your barometer for tolerance sure uh it does not stop there is what i'm trying to say good to know no, but there is good i also want to emphasize that mm-hmm I uh I know you guys on the mid season kind of skimmed over uh, Miss Kuroitsu and Fantasy Knockout. Both of yeah. mm-hmm. well, okay. I I actually ended up dropping. Um, I dropped Miss Kuroitsu not because I hated it, but because uh, life happened and I disliked the fan service with Wolf and found it kind of insulting enough that yeah. I had to nope out on that one. Me too. Uh, Fantasy Knockout. It, I wa- I got through half of and speed ran the finale before coming on the podcast today. It is basically where my feelings with it are basically where they were when I did the three episode review in that it can be kind of charming. It can be kind of shouty. I feel like it can also dip into a little bit of misogyny where Tachi where, you know, Tachibana is in order to make Tachibana this wish fulfillment figure, which I think is great. And the point of, the series it kind of can dip into this incidental side effect where every other woman in this show can be a little bit misogynistically portrayed by comparison mm-hmm. like on a low-key level where they all just kind of suck or they're vain or shallow or self-obsessed aren't sorry uh, not i mean I, I think that's a fair point but isn't i mean from my understanding of fantasy knockout doesn't every character kind of suck they all do kind of suck it just it feels it hits different with the female characters than it does with the male ones uh-huh it, it wasn't enough for me to uh to nope out on it for content reasons it, it just kind of is one of those things that i think can come with the territory with tsf oh can you sorry for the folks at home who don't know what that means can you tsf can you explain uh yeah so tsf is uh stands for uh transsexual fantasy and they are works where a character there are a couple uh Almost always a male character wakes up and has been magically transformed uh, into a girl, like a cis girl. There are there are occasionally the other way around, but not very often. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of the wish fulfillment is uh, for a series like that about the character being able to sort of indulge in stereotypical femininity. Mm-hmm. I think that that's good and great. It just in this case means that a lot of that comes along with being beloved by every dude on planet earth. And if there are other female characters, they may or may not get short shrift, which all sounds really negative. I think it's fine. The season kind of ends treading water with where it started, except that they were able to open up to each other a little more as friends. They're still not acknowledging uh, the blatant mutual crush they have on each other. <laughs> I There may or may not be a second season. It's, fine if you like the first two episodes it's like that for 12 yeah the big the the end event is that uh tachibana has the charm status effect above her head for jinguji and that's that's like how they close it out so i think that's their way of uh, acknowledging a mutual crush kind of thing with yeah a, with a game status effect <laughs> okay so it's it's implicit but like <laughs> yeah <laughs> it feels it feels pretty obvious i'm just saying it i was like man that <laughs> it sounds even like uh less impressive than i thought it was when i watched it <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things where like it's it's about as non-committal as any yeah f- like comedy series that is a romance but isn't actually going to have the couple get together at the end mm-hmm mm. Hey, the ser- to my understanding, the light novels are ongoing. So who knows? Maybe someday. Yeah. Ten hope, years, right? maybe they'll end up together. <laughs> uh, okay, so it sounds like if you enjoyed the first few, um, you would continue to enjoy that one. And again, I mean, it. We, Chiaki's written some very good articles on TSF uh, fiction, so um, I would recommend reading those if you'd like a primer on the genre. She loves it, but also understands some of the issues inherent in it, and like, and the, like the good and the bad. Like most things, it's com- it's complicated. Take even my opinion with a grain of salt, because I think TSF, as it is so overwhelmingly written, is so very special to trans femme folks specifically, mm-hmm. in that it, it tends to uh, gear towards that emotional place that, you know, at a certain point, it's not even for me either. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And that's okay sometimes, right? Yeah. Um, you can acknowledge that. So, all right. Um, Peter, was there anything else you wanted to mention about Strongest Sage with the weakest crest, or did it pretty much stay the course from the midway point? Uh, I think all the other isekai basically just stayed the course. Okay. Good to know. Then the next one is Salaryman's Club, which you and I both watched. Mm-hmm. Um, I, we talked in the mid-season that we were both enjoying this one a lot. Um, I don't feel like I have a, okay, I have a little bit to add, um, but for the most part, like, I did continue continue to really enjoy it through to the end. You too, I take it? Yeah, I was curious how you felt about the the final Miyazumi subplot with the, uh, the boss. So, I liked the aspect of them being willing to, like, address corporate sexism and harassment. Um, folks at home, just as kind of a quick sum up. Uh, what basically happens is two, uh, one of the main characters and the the like one female coworker in this office, uh, go out for like a business drink with the vice president and like the other guy is like he's like a corporate sponsor or something, right? Like he's he's not in their company, but he's like somebody very important to their continued success. I, I thought um, he was like the president's son or something. Maybe that's what it was. Yeah, he I, said don't I don't about remember. His dad. I yeah. did mention that um, my memory has booted all this stuff out, so I don't remember the specifics. This other dude gets trashed and is, like, uncomfortably hitting on her and trying to, like, force her to drink even though she doesn't want to. And Miyazumi sort of subtly, like, I mean, he steps in and is basically like, hey, you're bothering her, leave her alone. And it turns into this whole kerfuffle where the guy bl- claims that he, like, violently attacked him, which is not what happened. He was just trashed and fell over. Um, she's very grateful to him for, you know, stepping up and and, like, sticking up for her in that moment. Um, but her opinion is effectively ignored by the higher ups and like Miyazumi gets in trouble. Um, and they, they're able to, they're able to solve it and kind of get through it. Um, I like that arc in the moment because it, because while it would have been nice if the folks, uh, if the higher ups had fucking listened to her, it was very true to the moment. And I think it showcased like how important it is to have coworkers who will stick up for you in those situations. Mm-hmm. Um, I, what I didn't like is that at the end, it kind of just gets glossed over. Um, like nobody gets in trouble, but it didn't feel like there were any repercussions, like any repercussions for the like assholes who, especially the vice president who like kind of enabled this behavior because he's more, he's more interested in profits than people. That was my, that was probably my one critique is I kind of wished the the vice president had, had to, you know. Suffered any consequences. Some yeah. kind of consequence. But again, it is sadly true to life as well that he did not. So um, I was glad yeah. that, that she, I was glad that, that the characters we liked were okay um, and got to continue working with each other. Uh, in addition, I don't even think it was just him not suffering consequences. I think he was like actively exculpated by the narrative because uh, he, I mean, in addition to him protecting the guy who was, uh, uh, I, I don't know how, how to describe her. it. Yeah. yeah, actively harassing a woman. He also basically uh, participated in fraud, uh, telling that guy to like fake injuries so that they could get Miyazumi fired because just because he wanted to yep. close down the badminton team because he doesn't think it's a good allocation of resources within the company. Yeah. And then at the end, you see him talking to the president. The president's like, yeah, I know you committed fraud, but you just do it because you love the company so much. And it's like, what? <laughs> that that that's not a good reason to commit fraud, man. Uh, so yeah, I didn't I did not like the conclusion of that. Miyazuma was a, a bro, though. Yeah, he did ex- kind of exactly what you should do in that situation in a way that I, I really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, the other thing I like, yeah, I, I agree. That's my biggest critique is that the the VP just kind of was like everyone was like, it's okay though, and I'm like, no, it's fucking not. But yeah. on the more positive side, one thing I re- one arc one mini arc in the second half that I really liked was. Um, the newcomer to their team who worked in the QA department who had quit vol- who had quit badminton for a while because mm-hmm. um, his, he and his wife got married and she had a kid pretty quickly. And so he quit badminton so he'd have time in the evenings to help balance out domestic work and child rearing with her while their kid was still like really young. And that way she was also able to um, like get her degree on the side Um yeah. And now she's like getting a career as a writer and the kid's old enough that like he doesn't need as much constant attention. And so it gets to a point where she's like, she's like, you know, I'm in a good place now. Our son's in a good place now. If you want to go back to playing badminton, you totally can. And he does. Um, and I really liked that arc because it didn't like vilify it or even like make him out to be a martyr. It wasn't like, oh, I can't believe you made this incredible sacrifice. It was very matter of fact, but as kind of a broader social expectation is you know that the the man like dedicates himself to his job and the woman handles like the child rearing like there are lots of studies that have been put out in recent years about the like large percent of domestic unpaid labor that is still falls on like the the wife in in the household in japan 
Um, so I really liked the way the story like wedged that in without making a big deal of it, but it was still like a really nice arc about um, parents kind of splitting duties and helping each other, you know, realize their goals and dreams. So I thought that was sweet. Yeah, I think uh, like the the main characters were all great. I just think the it's like the story had trouble uh, kind of identifying and uh, reaching a suitable conclusion for the villains in the story or maybe even a conclusion i could see him getting off scot-free but just like yeah. framing it so so that you know no this guy's actually a bad guy rather than going like well you made a mistake but you did it because you just wanted the beverage company to succeed that's why you committed fraud yeah he could he could have at least apologized and said yeah i shouldn't have done that it was oh, yeah, wrong. like even, something he didn't but... even apologize no. he didn't have to do anything he just got off no yeah. no yeah, that sucks. No, but all the ba- all the badminton arcs were good. Everything with the with the main cast was was fun. So, um, yeah, I yeah. I liked that one a lot. I I hope we get more. I would like to see more sports anime about adults also balancing their uh, sport with their day jobs or their family lives or what have you. Because it just it just it's a different scope and offers different storylines. So, like, even though in a lot of ways it followed some very similar story anime, like sorry, sports anime plot beats it did it in a way that felt very fresh and new um i loved all the bits with them working at their soda company to make this soda that sounds terrible but is apparently delicious <laughs> um so yeah even at the end there they kind of introduced that new idea where uh their their final opponents it sounded like they were basically just hired as badminton players like they didn't really have to work too much uh because yeah. the company just wanted to that to use them as a promotional tool so that was like the the breadth of their mm-hmm. duties. Meanwhile, the main characters had they were expected to work in addition to playing badminton. So uh, yeah, there's a lot more angles that you could go on specifically with that that corporate sports league. Mm-hmm. I think it's really fascinating, and I want more uh, stories about it. That's yeah, really, no, me too for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I hope it did well. Uh, I don't. I have no idea how well it did in Japan. I hope it did well, uh, um, and that it you know. Um, encourages more stories like it because um, i think it was an anime original and i had a good time with it so yeah i believe so yeah um peter did you want to we should probably move on did you want to say anything about orient before we jump into the it's complicated category mm. i know the last time you told us about the female character and how she had a really good arc and then it immediately turned into like a weird fan servicey thing um i don't know if there was anything else you wanted to touch on with that after that midway point if they dropped the Weird fan servicey elements, or if that continued to be a thing. Uh, the the last half was just sort of about uh, exploring the main character's like you know mysterious past that results in him being overpowered. Mm. I do think maybe it's worth mentioning that like his his you know he has to be exceptional in some ways. He's, he's the main character of a shonen anime. He's got mm-hmm. like a goddess inside of him. Uh, it, I, I what's that uh, anime about like the French vampire hunters? Uh, where the guy is possessed by his sister. Oh, uh, <laughs> Le Chevalier Dayon. Yeah, Le Chevalier Dayon. Yeah, yeah, it, it yeah kind of has Chevalier that Dayon. thing going yeah. on. Sorry, there's no vampires in that, so you threw me off. Oh, whatever there's, they there's are. There's like zombies. Yeah, the zombies, liquid, yeah. the mercury zombies or whatever you call them. I don't, I don't uh-huh. know specifically what they're supposed to be. But yeah, yeah, they. Uh, it, it kind of pulls that thing where to his, his power up is letting this obsidian goddess within him uh, like possess him. I don't know if that's like a, huh. a mainstay of the series, but I do think it's uh, interesting that like the source of his power comes from like uh, a holy feminine that like resides a, within him. That is kind of neat. It you don't can't be as offensive that. as a chevalier. Yeah. Dance, so. <laughs> oh, that's a show I really like, but boy, howdy. Once I found out that it was about an actual person, it got, um, <laughs> Yeah. Difficult. We we don't have to, we don't have time to talk about Le Chevalier Dayon. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I think it's but, a split so, core show orient, so maybe I can touch back to okay. see if it completely. Yeah. Uh, uh, I I don't know what to expect, but uh, well, I can check back in on yeah. that one for sure. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Keep us posted. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Moving up into the it's complicated category. Peter, Vry, we didn't get to talk about this one like at all at the mid mid season mark. So tell me about Tokyo Twenty Fourth Ward. Oh my God. It tried. Yeah, it sure tried. <laughs> <laughs> a, uh, a shining recommendation. Uh, do you want to go into a little more detail? It was kind of... in. So it basically did what I was afraid it was going to do, but not as badly as I thought it was going to. So it starts out with all of these really lofty ideas where it wants to talk about... I swear to God, and I have zero proof about this, but except for the fact that the series composer is also a game writer and worked at Nitro Cheerall, the game or the, the studio that Urobuchi, you know, 
uh, carried on his back. But this really, in some ways, feels like a response to Psychopaths in that it is about a uh, crime detecting system and privacy and, you know, all of that. But it also wants to get into all of this stuff about protest art and community outreach. And it had a lot of, I think, interesting ideas about it. But in the end, it didn't really commit in the way that like an Akadama Drive did. Mm -hmm. And it ends up pivoting to being about Save the Girl because the... yeah, because the 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 so the crime detecting system is powered by a human brain, and that's why it was initially scrapped because it was unethical. And then the female character who dies and that and mysterious phone calls from her kick off the series. It turns out that her brain from her uh you know vegetative body is powering the system and it's in pain so all of these visions of possible futures that the main characters have been getting are basically like her anxiety dreams and so it comes down to actually our choice is not whether we should have whether a uh an authoritarian state is better for preserving crime or whether uh we should abolish the police is the way to go Actually, it comes down to how we need to uh, decide what to do with this singular person who is the ghost in the machine. Yep. Oh, that's that's disappointing. Because those those two concepts sound interesting, but then they mashed them together in a way that it sounds like they did not gel at all. Well, it, yeah, and it also kind of hand waves it at the end in that, you know, she disappears and they decide, actually, humanity's going to work together to decide what we need to do because there aren't any easy answers. And so the guy who works for the cops and the the protest street artist guy are just going to have to work together to decide on a, on a resolution. It's like, thanks, we've solved nothing. Oh, I, I did kind of enjoy throughout the focus that the series has on like the importance of community outreach. Like the mm-hmm. the himbo who is our point of view character is a baker, and the pers- the woman who came up with the not the psychopath system, but our stand in for it mm-hmm. before discover deciding it was unethical. She became a teacher and wanted to build this school, and you know, so it has some I think interesting and on point ideas about what is actually helpful in building and sustaining a community, but it also mm-hmm. takes some really loaded images of police violence and protest and decides to have a fun little intellectual exercise with them and without having an actual answer. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. They were doing like, uh, like it seemed very intentional and directed for a while. Like the bad guys who were running the system, uh, they were using mass surveillance, uh, and they were trying to get that pushed through. Like they, they had like active propaganda campaigns. Uh, they had planted like Andy Nyos inside the, the resistance movements to take uh, like uh, conflicts that they had with the police out of context to turn the public against them. Uh, just like wow. all of this. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it seemed so pointed when they were doing it. Uh, even There was even a point where the guy is like, we need to get all these people out of these buildings so that we can rebuild them. And also we're trying to pass this bill so that we can pass our system. And it's like, wait, so if we evict these people, they, uh, or like, uh, if they refuse to leave the property, then we can have them arrested. And then they're felons and they can't vote, which means they can't vote against our system and our bill will pass as well. So win, win, uh, uh, just like shit like that. Uh, and wow. yeah, for a while I thought they were even going mm-hmm. for this, uh, like uh, narrative where they were saying like a system that's run by unjust individuals cannot be just. Uh, although I, I, it schemed more toward when they were like talking about it, I think that the concept was, uh, a system founded in an unjust act cannot be just, which was, uh, like sacrificing the girl's zombie brain, uh, mm-hmm. I, I guess, which a bit less pointed, but I, it seemed like they were really trying to make a statement about, uh, things happening right now. But yeah, the, the, the conclusion I would say is it was, it kind of pulled a decadence where they had to make an appeal to the system itself to stop doing evil. And, and in this case, it was their childhood friend and they were able to, I don't know, give her uh, emotional closure so that she could pass on and the system naturally ended. That's not a, that's not a proper, that doesn't, that helps nothing in the real world. Like you made all these real world connections and then end with fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, like just completely detached. Uh, of course the, the villain uh, is able to springboard off that to overcome the grief about his dead wife and daughter which was what was driving him to uh arrest people to take away their rights to vote 
or whatever. And uh, so, <laughs> so there's course. no there's no bad guys, and everybody it's is living in like we we have problems, but we're going to solve them together. Uh, interwoven community type. Shit, that feels know? like a wild solution given everything that happened before it, especially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like that guy was a villain, uh, like uh, like a real world villain. Uh, and uh, again, just like Salaryman, it's just like, well, you know, he realized he had made a mistake. So that's unfortunate. That explains why it didn't make our recommendations list. <laughs> Neither <laughs> yeah, of you yeah, tagged yeah. Uh, yeah. for the uh, the disappointing conclusion. So that is too bad. It doesn't even feel like it completely ate itself alive like a Wonder Egg priority. I think Decadence is a good comparison or like um, Muta King even where it hits that finale and it's like, oh, you, you didn't quite have it committed there, mm. did you? Yeah, they they couldn't quite commit to the the points they had made earlier. So, yeah, that happens sometimes. Um, okay, anything else about Tokyo Twenty Fourth Ward Ward, or can we move along? Probably no. uh, a couple essays, okay. for this, but I don't want to talk about it anymore. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> honestly, it sounds like it. Like, if you want to write up a piece about it, I think that would be terrific. It sounds like there's a lot of t- to talk about, even if it is you know critical. Um, could be really good. Okay, uh, next is Requiem of the Rose King, which is ongoing, so we're only going to talk about the like first 12 episodes, the first half. Um, Vry has read the entire manga, so they're aware of the story, um, but not watching the anime because of the uh, sometimes dire production values. Uh, I will say, we talked about that at the midway point, um, the production values are significantly better in the back half because there's not as much war. Um, and the show, as long as there's not, as long as the show doesn't require a lot of dynamic movement, um, you don't necessarily notice how little animation there actually is because some of the aesthetic choices um, are, I think, pretty effective for the kind of story it's telling. Um, so when it hits a big emotional beat, it tends to do well. Um, I don't think I have a ton of new thoughts about this one at this point because, again, it's ongoing and I'm still kind of at that place I was in the middle where I'm not sure I'd recommend it, but also I can't look away. It is a very compelling melodrama. Um, I, I yep, have that's to the experience. That. Yeah, yeah, it's a very compelling melodrama with what I assume are what I assume are some problematic ideas about intersex people. Um, but it also exists in this historical time period, so some of that is built into the fact that it's doing like a historical series. Um, but I'm sure some of that is also just like narrative flaws. Again, folks at home, we would love articles about this. <laughs> this is not our wheelhouse. But Richard is a uh, a compelling protagonist and. I, I feel bad for him at the in this, at the midway point. Um, things without without many He's big my son and I love some, him. Some huge stuff goes down at the midway point. Um, but so without any spoilers, I will say that that Richard definitely goes through the ringer. Um, and I'm curious to see where the back half of this uh, tragedy goes. Uh, Peter, any anything you want to add? Uh, I, I don't know if I have like a whole lot to contribute uh, to like any sort of analysis of it. I can't say that I at the midpoint I'm finding it a lot more uh, engaging than it was previously. Uh, I, yeah. I, I made this comparison when we were chatting a bit earlier uh, and I, I hope it doesn't drive anybody away. Um, but I, I feel like this might be closer to a code Geass I could appreciate. I don't really like code Geass personally, cause I think it, it has the same sort of like, it's not going to end well for anybody uh, and it's going to be very melodramatic and there's going to be a lot of tragedy uh, but in Code Geass, it's about like a subjugated population, and there are a lot of innocent characters that I uh, thought did not deserve that sort of thing. And while there are a couple characters uh-huh. who definitely don't deserve to be caught up in all this in Requiem of the Rose King, I think uh, definitely most of them kind of deserve it for trying to, you know, the Game of Thrones. Uh, all of them want power. It's a lot of scheming nobles. Yeah. 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 yeah so yeah. when when they get their just desserts, I don't really feel bad for them. I mean, of course, like uh, Richard probably being like one of the ones who. Um, I would say as well, at least starts out as more of a victim. We'll, we'll see where that goes, but basically, yeah, basically the characters who are marginalized within their world, you feel sympathy for like him and Anne, I think are the yeah. two who I feel the most sympathy for, but a yeah. lot of them, I'm like, you're kind of a shit bag. So you dying here is just like, yeah, I mean, you were barreling towards that, weren't you just as fast as you could. And you yeah. sure did get there. You sure did get to that death. Um, it's uh, but it does sort of center itself around a few, a few sympathetic people. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, yeah, the second half does a better job of focusing around Richard and like one-on-one relationships. So like, especially Richard and Henry, um, who despite the many, many years between them um, in this, 
in this uh, fantasy realm that the story exists in, um, they do have a very compelling relationship. So um, I wouldn't say I condone it, but it is compelling. Yeah. Um, and that is that is the show in a nutshell. So, okay. Let's talk about My Dress Up Darling, which I dropped at the midway point. I talked in detail about why. So I'm just going to shut up for this one and y'all can uh, talk about it here. Okay. So I... I did want to touch on it briefly because I didn't end up finishing the anime. I do follow the manga, which is currently not in the English release all the way up to the end of the anime. Uh, it, mm-hmm. it ends uh, right. It, it's up right after the tanning debacle. But mm. I, I did want to say that actually I almost dropped it right out at exactly the same moment you dropped the anime uh, and then t- took like 20 minutes and then was like, well, I borrowed this for free. I'll just <laughs> keep reading it. And, uh, and I ended up, I ended up um, sticking with it because I find the characters really compelling. And this is basically exactly what I thought would happen when I looked at the anime is, is that when you're reading this in a manga, I can kind of skip past the gross shit. Like, why do you have that horrible joke about pubic hair? And why is there fan service of a middle schooler? And why are there so many panty shots? And why can't this just... (sighs) But in a manga, it's easier to like page past those things quickly and linger on the moments of, hey, these two leads are really sweet and I really dig their dynamic and I enjoy the earnestness of how it treats cosplay and love of cosplay, even if I think it's well-meant dedication to cosplay should be for everyone and it's okay if you don't look exactly like the character. I think it's really well-meant. I think it's a little bit lip servicey, in that ultimately, besides some background characters, you know, the manga's treatment of a fat character is a character who has large breasts and slightly prominent hips uh, doing a mask cosplay, which is not even as much as as Complex Age got into doing uh, cosplaying while fat. And I did not think that that one hits a super high bar. Yeah. So I, I think its heart is in the right place. I really like the leads. I'll probably continue following the manga, but it's really hard for me to recommend this series, both because of how the natural, you know, uh, guided format of anime requires sitting through those gross things at a set pace it's a series that i hesitate to recommend you know even though there are parts of it that i like a lot there are part the parts of it that kind of suck stick out all the more for it you know Mm -hmm. no i think that's extremely fair again i dropped it so i'm in agreement uh peter did you Mm -hmm. have anything you wanted to add to it uh, I, I just want to I agree on the points that it has a, a lot of problems, but I, I do really like the main characters. Uh, I, I like the framing around their affection, uh, which I think uh, a lot of romance is just a... I don't think you necessarily need to explain why someone's attracted to somebody else, but I do think it is nice when characters are able to articulate what attracts them to another person, uh, and it kind mm-hmm. of feels like lived in and real, and I think the series accomplishes that very well. That said, I, I also believe it has uh, effectively, in, in a genre where characters remain completely oblivious to the other's attraction for literal like years, sometimes decades, this mm-hmm. series has perhaps managed to jump the shark as to like them not being aware that they're attracted to each other with the Love Hotel scene. I, I believe they announced a second season, and I do like the show, but I am worried that if it continues this thing where they're like not dating and somehow not aware that they like each other, it's going to become super grating. Uh, so that's my primary concern. Oh, well, that and or it does anything else that's not good out of, out of nowhere that, that I, the, I have not learned of yet. Yeah. That and also the fetishization of teenagers and the uh, issues with um, artificial True. skin darkening. That yeah, beyond beyond the, yeah. Uh, the the many issues that we've brought up so far, the subplots and, and right, like right, general right. themes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. I did enjoy the two main characters a lot. When that was why I stuck with it as long as I did. I just yeah. wish they were in a show with less bullshit. I just, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, folks. I'm just older, and there's too much anime out there, and there's other stuff I can watch that I don't have to wade through the bullshit on. So yeah, or they were college students or something. That okay. nice. Yeah. Yeah, just make them college students. That would yeah. be so much better. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, let's move on to something that was nice and probably doesn't require like any caveats. Sasaki and Miyano. Um, I don't have a ton to add it. about They're this one from the mid. Yeah, it was really good. I don't have much to add from the midway point. Uh, most of the stuff I talked about there, it continued to do. I think it did it well. I like that, you know, we talk sometimes about how um, BL and Yuri series will exist in this like magical realm, totally separate from our world where like the idea of like queer phobia just doesn't exist. And sometimes that can be like really nice and those escapist stories are good. But when that's all you find, it starts to feel like the entire genre doesn't exist in the real world as if queer people can't exist in the real world. Um, so I really enjoy series like Sasaki and Miyano or like as an older example, not that old, but a couple years ago, given um, as stories that actually engage with the characters, like realizing that, like, you know, Miano coming to terms with the fact that, oh, I liked a girl, but now I like a boy. So, uh, and he never uses the word bi, but like, he effectively says, I guess I like both girls and guys. And then there's a subplot with a supporting character um, where his brother comes out and he, and his, and he kind of has to sort of recalibrate his life and like, think about, you know, um, something he'd maybe never thought about before where he might not have been homophobic necessarily, but like insensitive towards, you know, queer people. And so that idea of like navigating that in the real world, I like that that is somewhat in the story here. Um, There's also a few moments where it very lightly touches on like the way reading something only in fiction, but not seeing it in real life can lead to fetishization of it with the way Miano like talks about gay people and like ships real world people. And his friends are like, hey, please stop doing that. That's that's weird and uncomfortable. (laughs) And like the, there's a scene at the movie theater where um, they come out of a BL movie and these girls who are coming out of the movie are like, do you think those guys are together? And it has this kind of like uncomfortable element of like, OMG, R, you know, IRLBL. So I like that it touches on that a little bit. Um, I think it, it could have gone harder, but ultimately this is a very sweet, soft rom-com. Um, so I just don't think that was ever going to be in the cards for it. Um, but I really like these kids. What about you, Vry? Well, I do also like that. I like that those moments are allowed to linger and be uncomfortable, but mm-hmm. I do think it also threads that needle nicely of, you know, sometimes as long as it's not the only thing that's out there, sometimes you do want absurd, really tropey romance series. And that can yeah. be a nice source of solace. Absolutely. So I, I think this has is having a really nuanced dialogue with that thing with that Thing that's kind of always a question if you're a fan of of Yuri and BL. Mm-hmm. So I, I just really liked it. Like it has, it's so, I think, unassuming when you look at it, but it, the writing is so smart and the visual directing is so subtle and it's doing a lot of cool stuff with masculinity and these mm-hmm. kids are just nice and I can't wait for season two. Is it getting a, it is getting a season two because they, they announced it at the very end. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to that too. Um, I'm looking forward to see how, seeing how their relationship develops. It is a slow burn, but um, I guess folks skip ahead 15 seconds if you don't want to hear like a spoiler. It's a slow burn, but they get together at the end of this season. So a second season would be navigating their relationship with them dating. And I think that would be also really nice to see because, you know, you don't always get that with these shows. You get They get together and then it ends. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, I like how supportive all their friends are. Like their friends just assumed they were dating before they actually were. And they were just like, oh, I mean, that's fine. We're fine with it. We just assumed you guys were together. Um, And yeah, you're right. Some of the stuff it does with masculinity and Miano, like dealing with the fact that he has kind of a feminine appearance and not necessarily liking it, but then sort of coming to like be more at peace with that part of himself. I don't know. It's, it's hard to explain, but it's, it's really well done. And yeah, the visual direction was terrific. So I don't think I have any critiques to you, Rye. I think it was just a nice show that I liked. I know some people found it boring. I did not. I found it soothing. So it is definitely a show that you want to you want to be in like the mood for because mm-hmm. I noticed that if I watched an episode and I was I, I would end up feeling a little bit antsy, but if I was just there to chill out and vibe, I had a really good time with it. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think it really drags. It's just going at its own pace and you have to be there for that or it won't be a good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's absolutely, absolutely fair. Like it, it has a pace that it sets in the early episodes. And if that's not for you, that's OK. But like that is very much what it wants to do with itself. So, um, yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, OK, cool. That one was nice and simple. Uh, next on the list is this is our final um, new show and then we'll get into carry, carryovers and sequels. 
Uh, Sabikui Bisco. Um, we don't have to spend a ton of time on this one because I think most of my thoughts from the midway point carry forward. Uh, Peter, you did also finish this one to completion. Um, what did you think? Yep. I would say I enjoyed it. I, I think I wish it was like a 24 episode series since I thought like, I think it was episodes three to six where they were kind of journeying, needed a bit more room to breathe because the last mm-hmm. six episodes, like, like they were soulmates and they had this like trigger-esque escalation of ridiculous conflict that ended in uh, like wild superpower God fights <laughs> type stuff. It was so, great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm not complaining about any of that, but I think, like, if it was too core, they could have kind of, like, uh, done more with the... Also, just, like, them exploring the world and running into more ridiculous creatures would have been fun. I think I, I really oh, wish yeah, the time had more... The series had more room to breathe in the middle to, like, develop the friendship, develop the world, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah. Because yeah. Uh, it had to devote, I, I think, like, it was, like, five or six episodes to just the, the the last arc with uh, fighting the, I don't remember what he was called, like the mayor or something. The, the corrupt politician. The, yeah, 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 the, the yeah. corrupt politician kaiju, yes. <laughs> Who fortunately uh, was defeated. I, I, yeah, but... I, I'm glad that you described it as Trigger-esque because I definitely had that thought with this one too where I was like, yeah. this kind of feels like it should have been animated by Trigger because it has that that similar like powerful bromance feelings um and progressively escalating to the point of absurdity uh action scenes Mm -hmm. um in a way that was very confident and fun i just i just had a really fun time with this one like that's where i am with it i wish i wish more action fantasies were like sabi kuibisco um in terms of pacing partly and then also um i thought the way it handled its female characters was pretty good they're side characters but they're not sidelined t-roll shows up back at the end and like and kind of helps them get around and then Pabu winds up winds up playing like an integral role in the final fight which i really really appreciated because there's a kidnapping arc in the center that makes sense in context but i was like Pabu better get to do something cool before this is over i'm gonna yeah, be pissed yeah, yeah. um and so I was really glad at the end when it kind of hit that point where it's like you're the only person who could possibly do this thing that we need done to defeat the to defeat the big bad. And she's like, hell yeah! So I I liked the way it wrote its female characters. Um, probably I would say not quite as good as Radiant, but like as far as like my action fantasy tier go, it's sort of up there um, in yeah, terms of the, the shonen how I bar has been cleared. The, <laughs> the shonen bar has been cleared. Well, and that's like you know, I mean, one one common comeback when we talk about female characters in Shonen not getting a lot to do is, oh, well, it's targeted boys, or the main characters are boys, so what do you expect? And I'm like, yeah, the main characters are boys, but the girls can still do shit. Like, you can have subplots that are also important to the story. Like, they don't have to just stand there looking around. Um, And shows like Radiant and Sabiku Ibisco, I think, do a good job of showing how you can have a supporting cast that also does things. Mm -hmm. Um, a A supporting female cast in particular. Um, so I really enjoyed that about it. Um, I liked the central. I called it a bromance. Um, <laughs> Milo actually says he loves, he uses the word I, he loves uh, Bisco. Yeah. So however you want to read that at home is up to you. Um, I, it's it's open to interpretation. Um, I was about but, to say, is it at least as gay as pro-mare? Because that's what I heard. Um, There's the Powell moment at the end, though. There is, there is this, there isn't, I mean, it's either, it's either a weird polyamory between, with siblings, with somebody in between them. That's not good. Or, um, no, or it's, um, or it's, uh, Milo just has a platonic, it's, it's a platonic love, which, hey, I'm okay with. Um, I, I, I like it when boys can say I love you to each other. I think it's sweet. So, um, again, open to interpretation, um, however you want to, want to read that one, um. Pao is I, like, I, I really like- definitely romantically interested in Bisco, though. She basically said, uh, I oh, demand yeah. a prize for defeating the enemy, and that will be Bisco. Yeah. <laughs> um, she, they smooch. Yeah. Uh, they did have a smooch. So, um, so like I said, it's, I, you could argue that it's queer baiting, but I don't, I don't think that was the intent. I think the intent was like a, was again, kind of this like powerful, um, I guess asexual love story between the two leads. I'm not sure how else to describe when you're it. You're um, so close I, to I your bro, it. you briefly share the same soul. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're, they're literal soulmates. Yeah. Um, which doesn't have to have romantic connotations to it. I don't personally think so. Yeah, 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 for again, sure. we don't have time to we don't have time to dig into all those all those layers there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I enjoyed 
yeah, I just had a good time with this one. I like that, you know, I mean, it doesn't go as hard on the progressive themes as I thought maybe it might at the beginning, yeah. but I was kind of okay with it. Like they punch the corrupt politician in the face and they defeat the pandemic. And I'm like, this is nice. I like this. I like this like aspirational escapism where you can punch these big world problems in the face. This is fun. Yeah. So uh, yeah, overall I had a good time with it. Again, I would not call it like a progressive manifesto necessarily, but I think it's a really fun show. If you like action fantasy, I can, I can think of very few reasons why you wouldn't have a good time with this one yep. so um also the world building is just delightfully weird and imaginative the creatures that they run into are so good um the floating puffer fish i clapped with giddy glee in like episode four so uh yeah i yeah this one's a recommendation for me for sure mm-hmm. okay and other than like some very mild fan service in pau's outfit which i've talked about before being cleavage heavy um there's there's not a ton to warn folks about either which is also great yeah. Um, okay, we have sequels and carryovers galore. I'm gonna real quick say Kyo and Kyoto was a very nice show, and that's about all I'll say about it. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend it in one of our monthly recs. So y'all should become Patreon patrons for a dollar, and then you'll see that monthly rec. Yay! And then I'm gonna go up the list. So I fell behind on Sayuki and Lupin Part Six, um, mostly because my high dive sub expired, and I just was like too lazy to <laughs> bring it back. So I haven't gone back to those yet, but I might at some point. Um, Vry, let's talk about the case study of Vanitas for a minute. I, I love them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I think it. Yeah, no, there we go. Uh, I, I, I don't, I don't even know at this point. It was, it's really pretty. I thought it was good. Uh, season, I would like another season, please. These characters give on, me feelings. Yeah. Well, they're caught up on the manga, so it might be a bit. Although Bones has done a pretty good job. If the show is successful, and I really hope it was, um, if the show is successful, Bones does a pretty good job of like keeping franchises going while they wait for more manga material with like, um, you know, anime original movies and things like that. So I'm hoping we do see more case study Vanitas. Or, or, hey Bones, you know what you could do in the meanwhile? You could adapt the entirety of Pandora Hearts. Just saying. Same same author. Same mangaka. You could do that for me. That would be so great. Hold that torch, um, D. You hold I'm gonna it. hold that I'm gonna hold that torch forever. Yeah, so the anime is a I think it's about as good as like I as far as like faithful adaptations go, I think it's really, really good. Um I think it did a very good job with the source material. I don't even know. There's so much we could talk about with this one. I'm half tempted to be like, maybe we should just do a separate episode on it. Um, The manga is still ongoing. The anime pretty much, the anime pulled up basically to the last chapter and then parked the bus and they found a good stopping point. So it's not like you end on a cliffhanger or anything. Um, It does a lot with trauma and healing and community, which uh, that's Mochizuki's bag. She loves it. And like, the varying spectrum of queerness and what that might mean to different uh, people and characters. Um, I think it, I think it ends up doing good by its female characters where at the beginning it felt like maybe it wouldn't. I think that Jean and, um, uh, oh my God, Dami both get really good arcs about, um, like agency and individualism and like, um, honoring themselves for themselves kind of thing, which I, which is kind of the, I mean, that's every character kind of has that arc as well, but I like that they get rolled into it as well. It's not just about the boys. Yeah. I like it. It's, you know, it's, 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 it's a messy series, I think in a lot of ways, but it's, Again, it's one that is very compelling and I think very emotionally sincere in a way that resonated with a lot of folks. So I hope folks at home yeah. liked it. I've, it is intensely faithful to the manga, mm-hmm. panel for panel at some points. My only complaint is that they kind of straight washed Domi a little bit in that they took one of the only things that got cut was a lot of background scenes of her flirting with various girls. A couple of them survived, like her, like a couple of scenes she has with Jean, but I don't know, that bummed me out. Yeah, they they did have to trim some of the bonus material where um, you get to see Dami being more 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 uh, more openly bisexual. So that that is too bad that the anime didn't didn't get more of that in there. Although I will say I think in some ways it went harder on Noe Vanitas, especially some of the some of the erotically charged material in the anime went way harder than the manga did. So um, in in some ways uh-huh. I think it, it it found other ways to to kind of balance that out. So the anime is still plenty queer. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, no, we could do a retrospective on this easily, and I feel like a, might a be chunk it. of the staff is watching it. So, yeah, maybe that's something we can we can look into at some point. Um, hey, folks at home, let us know if you'd be interested in a in a full Vanitas retrospective, so where we could really dig into these characters and and all their all their messy uh, connections with one another. Um, okay, Princess Connect season two. 
Peter, you and I both finished this one. Vry, I know you were watching it, but I don't know how far you got. I'm not done. I, it's, okay. I'm hoping to. Um, yeah, good luck. Um, I, I, I would say it's worth it. I mean, that's my, my very short recommendation for Princess Connect season two is uh, it's worth watching. I really enjoyed the first season. I think the second season, the plot gets maybe too convoluted for its own business, but it can t- to connect, haha, to the characters and they're like in the main four and their kind of emotional journey with each other and especially Pecorine and um, Carl, no yeah. Carol, yeah. <laughs> um, and their relationship with each other. Like throughout all the like Buckwild, like literal gods, I think fighting each other, it stays grounded in those relationships. So I continued to care even as the story got like kind of kind of silly in the back half their mm. relationship is really really nice to see play out and i i yeah i really enjoyed this one um again i like like with season one i thought the middle dipped but the end the beginning and the end like brought it out brought it home so yeah honestly the only reason it didn't just go by the wayside like most of the stuff i watched this season is that i really like pecorina and and in carol like they're, they're so, lovely oh and my you feelings should definitely and, and kokoro is a lovely yeah. yeah, and Kokoro and Kokoro and Yuki are both great. Yuki's still a still a sweet baby, yeah. um, although he's getting some memories back. But he's still like, he's still a good supportive boy. And I, I <laughs> the like him. Are that I, like he was him a, a sweet I really baby. like him as a protag. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Basically, he was always a sweet baby. So um, he can just he can vocalize it more. I do. the The meta plot is very convoluted, and I don't really uh, have much uh, affection for like the central plot or in, any of that kind of stuff. But so yeah, I, I do think uh, this one, it, it did more plot stuff, which meant less fun hijinks. Uh, so in that way, I think uh, mm-hmm. season one was a bit funner, but I do think the conclusion to the, the epic conflict is spectacular and, and very good yeah. for, to all the characters. So in that way, I'm kind of glad that yeah, they same. did do the conflict because you got to see everybody's happy ending. Yeah, I, you know, I had, I think I said in like the three episode review for the first season that Pecorino was actually the main character and Yuki was sort of like, uh, Trojan horse almost. Yeah. Um, and I think that really held true. Like I really liked her arc of her kind of finding her worth just as an individual rather than like as a princess and this community she built up around her and how important that was and like protecting the kingdom's people rather than just like protecting them because she's royalty. Um, and then, you know, and then combined with her relationship with Carol and the friendship that they found there and Carol, who was very kind of like codependent on this one person being able to also find that community aspect and, you know, be able to reach out and help other people as well. I thought those character arcs really were what tied the whole story together. So like, no matter how wild the, and kind of away from the emotionality of the main characters, the plot got like, it always came back to those characters stories. And so, yeah, I thought, I thought it hit really well at the end as well. Yeah, no, I was just, I'm just glad that it, I think, transpired, I don't know if it's officially or just we all observed this to be the case, but I'm very glad that I guess the anime exists as basically an AU of the game because that means I don't have to deal with the weird high school stuff that made me stop playing the game. <laughs> that is, I if I, I believe it's that these characters might be like isekai or trapped in a video game type setup. Um, that is very briefly hinted at, and then they don't ever discuss it. And I'm a okay with that. Mm. So, yay. Um, yeah, and it, it really it has a good ending. Like I, I, the series is popular enough. Maybe it'll end up getting a season three, but it really doesn't need one. I think yeah. season two like wraps up all the plot points really well. And, the, and again, the character arcs really well. So it feels like a very satisfying conclusion to this story. So uh, season one was a huge surprise favorite for me. And, you know, season two, I think, carried that through. So yep. it's a nice one, folks, if you can handle a little a little fan service and boob nonsense. Um, and it's it's pretty mild and, like, kind of tongue-in-cheek and playful. It, it's a fun time. So, again, with some, some really good, like, character arcs for its female characters, which is terrific. Okay. We so the next one is Ranking of Kings, which by the time this podcast drops, our season recs will have our season recommendation like post will have come out. And I'm sure people will be like, why isn't Ranking of Kings on here? So I guess this is where we sort of talk about how this show kind of lost us in its back third. Uh, Brian, mm-hmm. Peter, you both finished this one as well, right? I think like the entire staff watched this yeah. one. And I think we all had a very similar reaction to the last like third of this uh, series, which we were extremely high on at the midway point. I do have to say, like it was my, if we, if we picked ongoing shows as recommendations, it would have been my top rec for fall. So how quick, how, how, what a difference a core makes. Who wants to start? <laughs> how do we, how do we Fuck begin? Fuck the open why, why fight the show- so much. Yeah. 
Yeah. Why did, why did this, how did the show lose you? Like where, how did you go from it being like your top pick to like not a show you're not even going to write a Rex post for, I guess would be my question. Uh, Variety, you want to keep going? You started with yeah. Fuck the Oaken fight. So yeah. The, yeah. Uh, I think, I mean, it's not just that, but it, that, I think the fact that fight that went on for my God, at least a quarter of the core is kind of emblematic of what ended up happening with the back half in general is that it's what happens to a lot of shonen series that I initially like uh, and then that lose me is that they start falling more heavily into some of the more that they get away from their strong initial concepts and start leaning more and more heavily on established tropes, which can be fun when they're sprinkled throughout. But if you run into a whole bunch all at once, such that the things that made the show stand out and unique start to fall away, then why am I even watching it anymore? Uh, Specifically, I got real bummed out that very early on into the second core, the show started to lean pretty heavily on Boji's lip reading so that they just didn't bother animating sign language anymore. Um, in a way that felt pretty lazy after they'd taken a lot of care with that in the first half. I didn't like that Boji's power-up arc meant that now that despite him being this character who was really heavy on communication in the first half, you know, and empathy, it just turned into do your empathy by fighting harder uh, with your now unbeatable technique. And also the fact that we always have a healer meant that the show keeps dragging out suffering for these characters, but nobody's ever going to die. So it just feels like I am endlessly sitting through this session of pummeling after pummeling, but it's not going to stick or mean anything in the long haul. And that was exhausting and it pissed me off. And also the racism. (laughs) Yeah. The, um, so I guess for folks at home who didn't hear about this, um, backstory with, hey, look, all these characters' names have fallen out of my head again. Um, the King, Boss. Um, uh, yeah, Boss and Naranjo. Boss and Naranjo. Um, their backstory, which, I, you know, and I will I will fully admit, I did not pick up on the subtext here. Um, I, I read this, this very differently until I saw some articles that were like doing some kind of one-to-one shots and showing like how this was very clearly kind of propaganda. Um, the way Miranjo's backstory is told is guys correct me if i'm saying this wrong it's kind of the way that sort of revisionist historians in japan talk about uh japan's uh invasion of korea in that it was like oh we came and we gave them all this great technology and they were just so they just didn't appreciate any of it and they resented us even though what was actually happening was colonialism and um people were being you know exploited and oppressed um, so ranking of Kings, the way it tells that story is the way that like a conservative movement in Japan tells the history of, of world war two and the invasion of Korea. Does that, did I cover it pretty well there? That is my understanding. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, and ANN did a, did a really detailed article that kind of went into, um, kind of showing like this, the, some of the cuts from the manga and like how they compared to some like actual photos and things like that, which um, we can, we should be able to link to in the show notes, I think. And so that was, that was the first sort of flag that threw up for me. Um, I do also want to make a kind of a quick addendum to the point you said about um, the lip reading becoming more and more of a thing. So nobody was signing. Um, I did some reading on this and obviously I'm not speaking for the entire deaf community. I cannot do that. (laughs) Um, But I did some reading from some members of the deaf community talking about how like, Sign language and like English or Japanese or whatever language, like those are different languages. So lip reading is effectively mm-hmm. like, a, it's kind of like translating. It's like a second language, right? Um, mm-hmm. So by like, so, so if somebody's like, oh, I can also read lips and you're like, oh, cool. I don't have to sign at all. It is kind of like being like, oh, I never have to bother learning your first language. Um, so the fact that they just like, and even the characters who know sign language stop using it is strange and kind of ableist is I think what I would say. Like it doesn't really fit with, with maybe the way the story should have told that, especially with how much time it spent in the first half kind of talking about accessibility and, you know, Boji not trying to be someone he isn't and kind of leaning into like, you know, who he is and his own strengths and things like that. So I did wanted to just kind of add mm-hmm. on to that point. Yeah. I mean, my biggest thing was part two really wanted me to give a shit about boss. And I, I don't know why, like they never gave, like they really wanted me to sympathize with him and I guess feel bad for all the murders. And I just, I never did. I felt like he treated, I felt like he used his children. I thought the show was doing a thing about toxic masculinity and like 
the older generation, like literally devouring the younger to stay in power, um, which I thought was really interesting. And then it's just like, no, boss was sad and didn't want to be brought back to life anyway. And he felt really bad about taking all of Boji's strength to keep himself strong. So I guess he gets to go to heaven now. Uh, and that, that was, that was the main, like the, the, yeah, the, the racism threw up the flags and then everything with, uh, boss from there to the end, like just, I just, I just couldn't, I could not in good faith recommend it after all that, as much as I loved the first half and everything with Boji and Kage, um, and their wonderful teacher, uh, Despa, but that's where I was. Peter, how about you? Um, I kind of felt like the, you know how Game of Thrones was a pretty popular show that everybody liked until they ran out of source material. Mm -hmm. And then it turned out they didn't have any idea. The directors weren't that good and they had to come up with ideas on their own. Suddenly it felt like that, except I Uh know that they were still using the writer's main stuff. It it honestly felt like the second half was done by a different person. Is that what I'm trying to get Uh at essentially? I do think. No, I think that's a good way to explain it. Uh, I think what did their best to like really sell it, but it's just like, I don't know, they, they, everything was set up and then they just had no, or uh, the, the author had no idea how to conclude the story. Uh, the Oaken stuff just, I, I really, I thought the Oaken's arc, much like everyone else's, as it was initially set up in the first core, was very fascinating and I couldn't wait to see what they yeah. did with it. But then they fought him for yeah. like eight episodes and it came to nothing. Uh, all of it was just to set yeah, up the Maranjo boss nothing. thing. So the, the, the whole the whole fight was pointless. Uh and that just felt awful, especially after how long they dragged it out. And yeah, as mm-hmm. Bri was saying, it seemed very conflict-free since like before uh, people would like lose limbs and stuff. And then uh, effectively everybody walked away from the Oaken fight with that, just like perfectly fine. Uh, yeah, of course, there's all the the, the uh, unfortunate uh, similarities to certain uh, elements of propaganda, uh, World War II propaganda. But uh I, I didn't it, the, the Dida Moranjo thing at the end where he declares his love for her came out of nowhere and was just a bad idea. I didn't even talk. Yeah. yeah. I didn't I, even talk about that. That's how checked out I was by the end. Yeah. Um, pretty God, much everything, everything around Moranjo. Yeah. is is bad. I think they, what? they come at it for or like her story from so different, many different angles and like with so many different time skips uh, that I never really felt like I, I like really gained a full understanding of what actually happened and was able to empathize. I don't know if, or maybe I did, and it just wasn't good enough to make me <laughs> empathize. It just felt very hackneyed. And then the the ending was wrapped up in a package that doesn't deserve. And then the Dida proposal thing came out of absolute nowhere and was very gross. And that was just suddenly the ending to after all of that tremendous buildup in the first twelve episodes. She's so much older than him. She's it's gross, I mean, yeah. we don't know how old she is, but she's she's definitely an adult. Well, and there's this troubling undercurrent between her and Boss uh, that I think is kind of leaning into this idea of codependency and like he was mm-hmm. her whole world and so she did everything for him to the point of it being like toxic and self-destructive and hurting other people. Yeah. But I think the show could have done something interesting with, but it ends up it kind of because they it basically just goes Oh, these poor sad people feel bad for them, and now they go to heaven. Um, it does. It's never able to really hit on those elements, so it ends up having this kind of troubling storyline that feels like Boss was kind of grooming her, and then she was kind of grooming his kid, and now it's this like weird cycle of like adults with children spouses. Yeah. Uh, I know Miranjo and Boss were never spouses, but like there's very much this like I was in love with him; he was my whole world like aspect to it. So. Um, I don't know if the show even knew what it was trying to do there. Um, it does kind of feel like the manga Ka just sort of started scrambling at the end. Yeah. Um, it so, kind of wonder egged itself. Yeah. It was, yeah, it kind of wonder egged itself. <laughs> God, is that going to be a description we use from now on? Boy, I that show really wonder egged itself. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. So folks at home, if you were wondering why we didn't recommend Ranking of Kings, I think that gives you a wide array of reasons why um, it kind of lost our goodwill in the back third. And that's a damn shame because Boji and Kage are great and healing was great and they deserved a better finale and to be the focus instead of getting sidelined for this subplot with his shitty dad that I continued to not care about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Honestly, the first half is so great. I almost recommend it on its own, but it doesn't quite yeah. stand alone. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know if there's really a good stopping point. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's kind of a kind of an interesting comparison point. Both Ranking of Kings and Princess Connect kind of went off the rails plot-wise, but Princess Connect continued to 
connect it back to the main characters like stories with each other so that it worked ranking of kings did not it lost that that core heart that it had in the first half and i think that's really what because plots can get weird and i will follow you um but you have to be able to like link it back to you know um the reason the show clicked in the first place which in this case was you know boji's journey and his uh friendships and connections and all that good stuff so oh i I also want to say I really did not like that, like, uh, Kake felt sidelined after Boji became king and decided that he should leave just out of nowhere. That just felt ridiculous, uh, completely ridiculous, so that I, I, I couldn't jive yeah. with that entire arc. And then uh, Boji, after all that struggle to become king, becomes king and then decides to just hang out with Kage instead and leaves to go on some sort of, like, you know, quest instead of ruling the country. After all that, uh, I, I just... Uh, that it blew me away that that's how the series ended as well. I sort I sort of liked the idea of Boji being like, no, 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 this this isn't mine. I want to start something of my own. Um, I don't want to just inherit from my dad. I, I liked that element, but I thought it was weird that they went through the whole process of him becoming king. Yeah. And then having it happen. Like, 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 like when Dido was like, you should be king, Boji should have been like, actually, no, that's not what I want. And then I think it would have clicked a lot better. Yeah. Like him being like, no, I want to cool. go do this other thing instead. And then he and Kage went off together. Because I really, the final, like, little bit with the two of them, like, back on the road, I was like, okay, good. The show is getting, the, the series in theory is getting back to what made it good, mm-hmm. um, which is the two of them going on adventures together. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. The the final episode, there's a lot of like bouncing back and forth between like this happened and this happened and this happened, but not really. Um, that it's 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 kind of hard to get a grip to get a grip on. But okay, we need to move on. I think that's enough talking about ranking of kings. Um, we don't have time to get into eighty six because there's so damn much to talk about. Uh, eighty six technically Speaking ended of this that season. Super need a retrospective. Yeah, yeah eighty six technically ended this season. Um, I think we're just gonna let's just. Whew, I'm, I'm about to commit myself to, to a thing. I think we should commit ourselves to an 86 retrospective because there is a lot to pick apart in that. And there are other voices I would like to get involved in that conversation. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. So, so I think I want to put a pin in that one. Um, I will have a recommendation for it on the site. It'll be up by the time this podcast goes live. So folks, you're welcome to read that. Um, if you want like kind of just an overview of uh, my anyway, my general thoughts on it. Um, and then, you know, we'll we will do our utmost to schedule a retrospective for this one and come back to it um, with a wider array of voices to talk about this uh, very complex, messy show that was also very sincere in its message about how fascism was bad, actually, which I genuinely appreciated. Um, there's a lot more to it than that. Like it is it is it it engages with that in a way that I, I really respected the complexity of it but also season two was kind of a mess mm-hmm. um but yeah we'll we'll talk about that in more detail at, at a later date i think is a good idea and with that we have come to the end of our watch list we hope you've enjoyed this episode of chatty af if you like what you heard tell your friends about us and if you really like what you heard why not head over to www.patreon.com backslash anime feminist and become a patron we have three tiers starting at the low, low price of $1 a month, which gets you monthly site updates and staff recommendations on things like anime, manga, video games, and more. Uh, or if you do enjoy these podcasts, you might consider our $5 tier, which gets you a new bonus podcast and transcript every month, as well as access to our private Discord server, where you can geek out with fellow feminist-minded anime and manga fans. We also have a store, animefeminist.com backslash store, where you can find cute and cool merch for the progressive geek on the go, including, as of this recording, uh, products with our brand new kick-ass sigil and logos, courtesy of our wonderful designer, Katie Castillo. So go check them out. If you're interested in more from the team and our contributors, you can check us out at animefeminist.com, on Tumblr at animefeminist, and on Twitter at animefeminist. And that's our show. Let us know your favorite winter titles in the comments, Annie Fam, and we will catch you next time.